next week, we are starting a new teaching series on Sunday mornings called The Art of Reframing. How many of you have ever taught or been taught to think incorrectly about something? Maybe it was the way you were raised. Maybe it was just something that you experienced in life. And because of that experience, you came to a conclusion and you made up your mind about something. Um, I think we often do that when it comes to spiritual things. That we have a certain mindset that may not even actually be biblical. All right? So we're going to start a new series next week called The Art of Reframing, where we take common, ordinary issues of life and we're going to. Help us to reframe how we think about these things from a biblical perspective. Because as followers of Jesus, we should have what they call a biblical worldview, which means we look at situations and issues in life through the lens of what God's Word says and from the, the truths of God's Word. And it helps us to kind of reframe or to redefine how that works. So join us as we kick that off next week. Uh, into the weeks to come, uh, the art of reframing. I guarantee it'll be worth your time. And maybe you've got some friends who think poorly of God or the church, or maybe they think poorly about situations in life. What a great opportunity to invite people to come, uh, to have an understanding of what the Bible says about some issues that we face every day. So maybe it'll even change our minds about how we've been thinking about these in light of scriptures. That's going to kick off next week. But we've been in a series over the past several weeks called I'm In, and we're going to bring that series to a close today. We've been talking about how I'm in, and those ways that I'm in is that I am invited into God's family. Aren't you so glad that we are, that God loves us, and he wants to call us his own, and we're invited, but we have to respond to that invitation. We've also learned that we're invaluable to God's work, that God has something for each of you to do. You are the body of Christ, and each one of us have something to do that is invaluable for God's work in the body of Christ. Have you found it? Are you stepping into the value God has placed in your life? And that's invaluable to his work. We talked about how I'm influential, that you have influence for God's glory, that you can make a difference in the way you live your life. In fact, what we learned last week is a life influenced by Christ should always influence the lives of others, and it should rub off, right? And so we're people who should be people of influence, and I'm influential for God's glory. And then today, we're going to wrap it up with the final one, which before we get to that, I'm going to tell you a story about uh, Charles Francis Adams. He was a 19th century political figure, um, kind of a diplomat, and he kept a journal, now, I, I probably should get better at journaling, um, but he kept a journal. And on one day, he entered this in his journal. Went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. His son, his name is Brooke Adams, he also kept a diary. And that diary is still in existence to today. And on that same day, his journal entry said this. Went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. So you have two opposing views on the use of time. The father saw a day of fishing with a son as a wasted day. The son said it was the most wonderful day. Who was right? See, it's about perspective. And I guess the only way you can determine what is true is to tell the difference between wasting and investing here to, is to know one's ultimate purpose. What is the purpose for that son? It was to connect with his father. For that purpose, it was valuable. 
investment of his time and his father's time, but the father didn't see it that way. You know, the same principle applies to the investment of your resources, the investment of your finances. Some see tithing or giving to the church as an absolute waste. They just see it as throwing away money because, I mean, it's, we're giving it to an organization or a missionaries or to the church. It's just a waste. But others see it as one of the greatest investments they could ever do, one of the wisest investments of their money as a steward before God to help advance his mission in the world. How do we know what is right? It requires perspective, and it requires that we weigh those decisions based on eternity and what really matters. Is giving to God's work a waste, or is God's work and giving to that work a true investment? So today, as we conclude our I'm In series, I, wanna, I want you to leave here saying, I'm invested. I'm invested in what God wants to do in our world today. I'm invested. That through our regular giving of the tithe and offerings, you're not only putting God first, which is what the Bible says we're supposed to do, seek first his kingdom, right? We're not only doing that, but we're also being blessed because we are a steward and we're putting ourselves in a posture to actually receive God's blessing because we are being obedient. Let me show you, Matthew 6.33, the verse says this. In fact, if you want to follow along today using the Bible app, there's a link on Facebook for you to go directly to that on, Bible, on our, our Facebook page. Um, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Maybe you've heard that verse. Maybe it's been written out. Maybe you have it on a card or a poster at home. The context of this was Jesus instructing people not to worry not to worry about things being provided for them, but instead to seek first God's kingdom. And then all these other things that we tend to worry about will be added to us as well, will be worked out. I love the way the Amplified Version says it. It says, but, but first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, which is his way of doing and being right. And all these things will be given to you also. So we're talking about investing, and I know that when we start talking about money in the church, people get, like, edgy. They get edgy because it's like, oh, here we go again. There's money-hungry churches just asking for more money. Let me just put it this way. I'm not asking anything from you today. But what I want to present to you is something that I believe God has for you. And there's a world of difference between what people think they're wanting from you and what I believe actually God wants for you. So even if you're a bit jaded or maybe a bit on edge, just relax. We're not going to take a second offering after this message, okay? I just think it's important for us to look at God's word and our response and position to his word. So to invest, as you look up in the dictionary, it basically means this, to use, to give, or devote, which is usually money, time, or your talents, or whatever, okay? as for a purpose. In other words, you're not just wasting it. To invest means you're, you're sowing it into something, and there's a purpose for which you're doing it. Now, friends, maybe I'm foolish, but I think the church has the greatest purpose in the whole wide world. I truly believe in the church and the value of the church in our world today. I believe we have the greatest message the world ever could hear, that a God loves you, has a plan for you, has a son who died for you to provide you salvation. I think we have the best thing in the world. That's my opinion, but I think it's the greatest purpose. But somebody might say, well, Kelly, I don't have anything to invest. 
I mean, if you were to look at my budget or look at my checkbook or look at my bank statements, I've got nothing to invest, perhaps. But let me bring something to your attention that maybe you haven't thought of before, and it's this. Right now, you are investing in something. Okay? Right now, you are investing in something. And the truth is that your bank statements, your checking account, your visa statements will show pretty clearly what you're investing in. Because we are investing. We, we are sowing our resources into something or some things. It's happening right now. Most of the time, the truth is it happens unguarded. You don't even have any clue where it's going. We have to stop and realize right now you actually are investing in something. And for some, that might be that you're investing in entertainment. If you were to look at the amount of money in, in a given month that you sink into entertainment, which could be anything from the internet service you're paying for, the streaming services you're paying for, the movies that you're paying for, the resources that you buy, whatever. It might be a, a you know, substantially sizable investment that you're not even thinking about. Others, it might be your recreation. I'm, not, I'm all for recreation, okay? I have a trailer, we go camping, I love to recreate. But you're investing in that, right? It costs money to do that. Some of the others might be investing in sports. Your kids are in sports, you're sinking a lot of money and your kids being in sports, you're paying for camps, it's a lot of investment, you're investing in it. Others, it might be coffee. I am still, I mean, I like coffee, don't, don't get me wrong, okay? I am still blown away as I drive by any local drive through coffee place, especially places like Dutch Brothers, and you see cars wrapped around the block, and I'm kind of counting cars and going, there's 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, $40 just right on that one side of the line. Could be more. Isn't it amazing that we're investing in something? So the truth is we are investing in something, but the problem for most of us as Americans is we're investing in things that really don't matter. They really don't. When you put them in the balance of eternity, they really don't matter. Now, I'm not against sports, coffee, recreation. I'm not against any of that. All I'm saying is if that's the only place we're investing, then it really doesn't matter in the long term. It's not making a difference in the lives of those around us or our own lives, really. There are not very many heart-wrenching, kind of inspiring stories about how someone spent money on something for themselves, right? I mean, if you get a tearjerker story, it's usually about somebody who, who saw a need and gave generously, but you don't see any heartwarming stories on Facebook about, hey, I went to Kohl's today, I spent $300, but I saved $500. I'm not sure how that's even possible, but I did that. And look at all the stuff I bought. Isn't this awesome? Nobody goes, oh, that's so touching. That's so heartwarming. Nobody does that. Nobody. But you hear stories about somebody seeing a need and being touched by that need and then giving generously. We read stories about kids who gave up birthday presents to help somebody else, right? We go, oh, that is, oh, that is so inspiring. There are millions of stories that inspire us about giving away. I can't think of a single one that inspires us about spending it on ourselves. I think there's a reason for that. 
And I think deep within our hearts, it's a God-birthed thing that moves us when we see generosity in motion. In fact, Jesus takes our financial stewardship very seriously. He does. In fact, Jesus speaks about money really more than anything else. And I know that's hard for you to believe, but he does. In fact, look, among the, the 38 parables that Jesus tells, 16 of those are about finances. In the entire New Testament, uh, especially in the Gospels alone, the Gospels, one of every 10 verses, which is 288 verses, has to do with our money, our resource, our possession. Every 10th verse not literally, linearly, but if you were to do the math, is about our possessions. Because Jesus knows something very valuable. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So what we're talking about today isn't about money. It's a heart issue, isn't it? It always has been, and that's what Jesus was trying to help us understand. And he tells this parable, one of the parables he tells us of the, of the 16 that he does about possessions is the parable of the talent. So we won't, we won't go there in our, in our Bibles today, but it, it's in Luke 19. It's that story of a king who was going away on a journey, and so he called some servants forward, and he gave each of them according to their ability. And that's why I believe God blesses others more than some, because God looks at our ability and says, I'm going to give you what you can handle. All right, so he gives one five, he gives one two, he gives one one. Each of those servants then goes and does something with that investment the king made. The one who was received five, what did he do? He went out, he worked that money, and he gained five more. So he invested. He didn't just hang on to it and it magically, poof, grew. He invested it, and it returned with such a way that it doubled. The one who was given two, he invested in such a way that it was doubled. The, the one who received one, look at his one and said, this isn't much. Why'd that guy get five? That guy got twice as much as I did who got two. I got one. Now, we, that's, I'm paraphrasing. That's not really in the Bible. But it says the man who took the one did something with it. He buried it. He just put it in a hole. He took a hole in the ground and put it in there. Covered it. When the king came back, he called the servants forward to give account for what he invested in them. The five returned to five. What did the king say? Well done. Good and faithful servant. The one who had the two. Brought back two, well done. He wasn't like, why didn't you bring back five like that guy did? No, he just basically was faithful with what was given to him. He invested that, brought back two, and the king said, well done. The one who was given one did not get a well done. In fact, the king said, you could have at least taken that one and invested it in the bankers and at least brought back the interest. See, the point of that parable is we've all been giving something and we're always investing. We have to determine what kind of investment we want to make that honors the king. So in that parable, obviously the king is our father God who gives us resources that we're to use for his glory. And we are accountable, friends, for how we choose to use the resources God gives us. Now, that's beyond money. That's, that's all manner of resource he gives us, but we're accountable to that. So what do we learn? This parable and other principles in Scripture show us this. This is the truth we're going to leave with today, that Jesus calls us to pour out, not store up. Okay? Jesus calls us to pour out, not store up. He says in Matthew 6.19, probably a verse you're familiar with. This was actually in that context of Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom. This is in that context. And he says this, do not store up treasures here on earth. Where moths eat them, 
and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Now, isn't this true? Think about it. When we live a life that just, is just kind of putting our, our, our hope, our investment, and storing up treasures here on earth, it just has a way of vaporizing, doesn't it? Life happens, and whatever we had, poof, it just begins to vaporize. Moths come, thieves come, rust destroys. It's like, what in the world? That's just what happens in life, but especially when that's where our hope is, is just in this. He says, look how this is, just, this is going to fail you, so do not store up. He does go on to talk about, though, storing up treasures where? In heaven. So how do we store up treasures there? It's not by storing up treasures here. It's by pouring out. It's by pouring out, knowing that we're stewards, that what we have really has flowed from God's hand, and I'm a conduit of his resources, and so I'm going to pour out rather than store up. Because in pouring out here in the things that God burdens me to give toward and being faithful in the tithe, as I pour out here, it's storing up there. And that's where my heart is, and that's where my treasure also should be. So storing up means pouring out treasures for his mission here on earth. Well, lest you just hear Kelly talk about this, many of you probably have stories. You have stories of God's faithfulness as you have been a steward of his. And I have one family in particular uh, Shane and Tiffany Sewell, as I was talking with uh, the board about this new message series, she's like, well, Shane's got a story. But I think Shane was like, I'm not going to get up there and talk. <laughs> but I'm going to invite them both to come down here, and um, we're just going to take a minute to hear somebody's story, because maybe you're kind of going, yeah, I don't know, Kelly. You just talk a lot. Well, I do. I believe and I'm passionate about what I'm talking about, but I think it's good to hear stories. And so let's just come down here on the lower floor, make it easy for Shane with his, uh, with his crutches. This is not part of the story, by the way. This is not the Tiny Tim version of the story where God bless him very much. Um, this, is just, this is just where life does sometimes, right? This isn't part of the story or testimony. But um, maybe just... First of all, say what it was that you did, whoever wants to talk, and um, just kind of tell us what it was, what that looked like with your story. Well, we had been attending church for a while, and we had gone back and forth about tithing. My family was always super vocal about it when I was growing up, and Shane's family was not, I don't think at all. No. No. Well, we didn't even go to church, so yeah, there was no. He went to private school. (laughs) Private school, no church. (laughs) Yep. Um, Anyway, so we just came to a point, and I just said, we need to figure this out. And he's a number person, and I'm like, oh, it's a a solid number person. I'm like, oh, tithing is 10%, so we should have a percent. So we agreed that I would choose a percent, and he would choose a number. And we would go from there, and my hope was that we would choose a percentage, and then we would just go up each year, up a percentage to tithe. And so he came up with his number, and I came up with my percentage, and it was the same, luckily. (laughs) That was super helpful. So uh, it was 6%. So the first year, we tithed 6%. Second year, 7%. 
so on and so forth. Our 10th year, or our, tenth, our year that we would have hit 10%, happened to be the year that we had our seventh child. And um, we had, I don't know, I'm emotional. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> we had had a foreclosure several years back, and we weren't out of that. We'd made some bad decisions in the year, literally maybe even the months that the market crashed and got ourselves into a position where we could not stay in our house. So we had tried two to houses. Two houses, right? Yeah, two yeah. houses, not just one. Yeah, we had some bad advice as well. <laughs> um, so we were looking at trying to, um, one, find, find a car that accommodated seven children. That's hard. Um, and then also whether or not we were going to buy a house. So we'd actually put an offer in on a house, and it had fallen through. Shane left, and some of you guys might remember this during that summer. Shane had left and gone gold mining. And uh, we had an opportunity to put an offer in on a house, but he didn't know it. <laughs> and so we, um, even with the foreclosure, ended up getting a house. It was, um, at the time, it was three years ago. Most houses were like $125 a square foot. We got a house for under $98 a square foot, which is a real blessing. And then we got an interest rate of 3.5%, which was awesome because we had two foreclosures on our record. Anyways, so fast forward, I have my baby. We are driving in an eight-passenger van, um, and I'm driving without a seatbelt or riding without a seatbelt because that's the only person that will fit between two car seats, and we're not willing to have our child or any of our children drive with no seatbelts. And we decide we had to get a car. So we go into the credit union and they say, um, well, what, you know, what are you looking for? And we had to have it under $350 a month, like whatever, whatever the loan can be. And she says, okay, great. We know that we have a foreclosure. We just bought a house. We have a, for those of you who don't know, we're a single income family. Um, and she said, oh, yes, I got it. It's a 2.58% interest rate. I'm like, okay, woo. $315 a month, yay. So we found a car, drove up to Portland. It was late at night, and Shane went in to sign the papers, and they told him, oh, darn it, we put in the wrong credit union. Um, but the only interest rate we can find is 8.5%. And? And he said, with your credit, there's no way you can get lower than an 8.5%. And so I said, well, they said it was a 2.85. And he's like, that's not possible. And he's like, we'll check on it in the morning. And yeah, it was a 2.85. And he's like, I have no idea how you possibly got that. And yeah, it was just a blessing from the Lord. And I think it's just from our tithing and being faithful. Not that we're rich or anything, but <laughs> it kept us in our budget. So, Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Have a seat. Let them know. We appreciate them sharing. You know, sometimes I think we have these grandiose ideas of what God's blessing looks like in our obedience, and it's just common, ordinary stuff. It's like God just saying, I'm going to work some things out for you. Don't worry about it. I got you covered. If you honor me and put me first, other things will be added to you as well. Why? Well, I did just a little research because I'm that way. And, and, I, and I'm, you know, what, what I want to share is just where we're at as a neighborhood church. I think that's an important thing to know. 
because it's one thing to preach and all of us to nod and go, yes, amen, that's good. Um, but I, we, we pulled some numbers, and I, I want you to, first of all, know that I don't see what people give. I don't. Um, we have counters. Our treasurer, Bill uh, Beasley Sr., handles all those matters. I don't see what giving looks like. I get reports that show us what our total offerings were each week or each month, um, but I don't see what you give individually. Okay, So I'm not talking to any one person in the room. I'm just telling you what the stats have revealed. In the community of Albany, the average two-income household brings in about $44,000 okay, a year. Um, so what we did is we just kind of said, okay, so up to the end of September, where would the average household be in their income? And that would be, uh, it ended up being somewhere around $33,000 per household. Uh, others, it might be if you're a single income, the average might be $22,000 per resident over the year, $16,000 by that point in time. Somebody's kind of figured, okay, so if we understand the Bible says that we're to tithe, which is a 10% of our income, we, we kind of just figured out, okay, so if, if the average household income would be somewhere between $33,000 through September, how many giving units do we have that reflect a tithe of what their income would be? And so, just so you know, we have about 180 registered households in our church. I went through there and kind of picked uh, in our database some families that I knew were maybe no longer really actively attending. Um, some of those were uh, children that ended up being a head of household, and God help that household. Um, <laughs> they just got inputted wrong, and so we just kind of went through and made sure they were adults and, and households. So a household is one person who lives alone or a, or a household. So a household is just as it's registered, is a household. So we have about that point, 140 households that attend neighborhood church, all right? Not on the same Sunday because we would be filling this place up. Um, what we discovered is that 25 households um, gave what would be the equivalent of a tithe um, out of 140. That's, that's 17% of our church apparently tithes on their actual income. Um, 82 units or 82 households had given $500 or more from the time frame of January to September. Um, and so what we began to see is we've, we, have to, we have to just address this as a spiritual issue. It's a hard issue. It's not a financial issue. Actually, we are doing okay, right? We're making ends meet. We're actually able to put more money away to the mortgage down uh, that some of you are giving to, and, and we're seeing God's favor. But Part of that is because we're trying to be good stewards as a church. But when I looked at that number and said we have 17% of our church that actually appears to be tithing on what would be the average annual income of a household, um, we have to just for your sake speak into this. So this is not judgmental. This is just these are facts that we can't get away from. All right? So what we discover is that there is a tendency among Christians to tip rather than tithe. To tip rather than tithe. Now, I think it's interesting when we go to the restaurant, if we didn't tip the waitress or the waiter, um, we might feel bad about that. Uh, and so isn't it interesting how it just keeps creeping up, by the way? Uh, it's like, what, what is it now? 20% of our checks should be tip? Um, well, that depends on the service, and I get that. Um, but I feel like we end up tipping God. And uh, last time I checked, that wasn't what he was speaking about. He was speaking about a tithe about storing up your treasures in heaven. In fact, it was Paul who quoted the words of Jesus in the book of Acts who said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And you know that to be true. 
you know that it is more blessed to give than receive. In fact, we have this joy that happens when we give. You felt it before, I'm sure. When you gave something to somebody, and maybe especially when there was no strings attached, you just kind of felt like a joy inside your heart about that. Why? Here's what I believe happens. You're unlocking what God desires for us to be. And it's not self-focused. It's others in his kingdom because our Lord wants us to pour not to store, right? So I understand most people here would say, Kelly, I I would actually give if I could, but I feel as though I can't because right now I just don't have enough to give. So what I want to speak to very quickly and wrap it up is these two points. The reality is we do have, you're investing somewhere, right? The reality is we do have, and what happens is that when we actually, in fact, we call this the then when then thinking. When I get more, then I will give more. This is what you know, people have often said. You know, Pastor, I love that message. When I get more, I will give more. Here's what happens in the average American, and this happens probably in your life. When the more comes, you end up wrapping your lifestyle around the more. And all of a sudden, you don't have enough. It's like, well, how did I get here? Well, it's because you had more, and then you wrapped your life around the more, and now it's gone. Right? So the when I have more, then I'll give more philosophy just doesn't fly. Because we all have a way, it's true, we all have a way just to expand our lifestyle to what we're making. And what often happens is a scarcity mindset sets in. So what is a scarcity mindset? It looks like this. If it was to be a cycle, it would look like this, that God supplies, because that's always true. God supplies, and then we consume. And then when we come to the end of our consuming, we feel like we're lacking. And so we fear we're not going to have enough. And so God supplies, we consume, we have this lack, and because of that lack, we fear. And because of that fear, what tends to happen is we store. We store up. We keep holding on to. We keep grabbing hold of because we're afraid we're going to lose it. This is called a scarcity mindset. God always is faithful to supply, but then we consume Because we consume, we lack, and then we fear. So the outcome of this is always going to be fear. And many of you right now, if you're to be true about where you're at with your finances, you're afraid. You are fearful when you look at your financial picture. You're afraid. I want to speak against the scarcity mindset because this is not a biblical mindset at all. It's not. But the scarcity mindset starts in the mind, not in the wallet. All right? Starts here. This is where scarcity starts. Not, you know, it's not by looking at your wallet going, I don't have anything. No, it's, it's actually starting right here. And Jesus speaks to this. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, we're going to blow through this rather quickly, but it's an important teaching of Jesus. I would encourage you to digest it completely in the future. They said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? So he got more. And so he's like, okay, I got more. What should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if this thing went on to say, and he got generous and gave all of his excess away to those in his community, and he found ways to enable others who were impoverished to have a good harvest. No, look at what happens. Then he said, this is what I'll do. This was his harebrained idea. I will tear down my barns, which means I had already built barns, but they weren't big enough. So he tears those down. He has a cost to invest. What? I'll I'll build bigger ones. 
And there I'll store up my surplus grain. And, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. So take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is the summary of that parable. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is a hard parable to swallow, but it shows us the principle of scarcity. The idea is, as God provides, we consume. And when we lack, we fear. Now, this guy didn't lack, but instead what he did was he kept hoarding. He stored up rather than poured out, right? And what happened? He kept storing up, storing up, and God said, you're a fool. And the way you're living is pointless. And this is how it will be for anybody who stores up things for themselves and is not rich toward God. Now, there's nothing wrong with storing up. I believe in saving. But it's the other foot that has to fall, being rich toward God. Now, this is the parable of Jesus. We can't get away from this, friends. If we embrace God's word as God's word, and we love parables about how Jesus provides for us, that's wonderful, but this is equally the word of the Lord. And if we're not rich toward him, and we're storing up for ourselves, that's not going to go well. So through the lens of scarcity, we will always be fearful, we'll always be anxious about our money, we'll always latch onto it, and we'll always be stingy, and we will see that giving is a waste. So what does he do? How do we become not the rich, foolish man? It continues in Luke 12, 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Now, in context, back in this day, this is the kind of stuff people worried about, just having clothes on their back. Okay? Now, we tend to be a lot more comfortable as Americans, and we worry about first-world problems only, right? I'm worried about paying my cell phone bill so I don't get that thing turned off because the Lord knows that if that stops, the world's going to fall apart. Right? We have first-world problems. They were like, I need clothes. This is where first-century people lived. What to wear or, or, or what food you're going to eat. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, and they have no storeroom or barn. In other words, they don't have a way to build bigger barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Thank God for that. And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, then why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Now, why did he say that? Because he knew his people were wrestling about this stuff, God's provision. He's saying, you're, you're people of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For pagans, the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. That's the, that's the takeaway. God knows what you need, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, and a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For your treasure is 
that your heart will be also. So what's happening? Jesus is trying to shift our mindset from scarcity to abundance. So abundance is the mindset of believers of Jesus. In fact, Paul speaks to this, 2 Corinthians 9. Look at what he says in verse 8. And God will generously provide all you need. He's talking to people about God's provision. He provide all that you need, and then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This is God's way of looking at things. God's a God of abundance. So the abundance mindset, very different from scarcity, looks something like this. That God supplies, that's the unchanging truth. He's our provider. We give. What's the difference? In scarcity, we consume. But in abundance, we give. And then God multiplies. And then faith grows. We give. God multiplies. Faith grows. The Sewell story is an example. They gave. God multiplied, not necessarily in like money back in their pockets, but in a very different kind of way, a very functional way for them long term. The amount of money they saved in that interest, dif- that interest difference is probably a bit mind-boggling. But he does that. He multiplied it. And then our faith grows. Their faith grows. Your faith grows. That's different than we consume, we lack, and then we fear. Very different. This is where God wants us to be. We give. Tithing then breaks the scarcity mindset, and it nurtures an abundance mindset because we're, we're giving first. Seek first his kingdom. So here's the principle, and we'll land the plane, we'll be done. You need to give your first and best, and then God blesses the rest. That's a nice little poem. Give your first and best, and God blesses the rest. So what does that mean? A tithe, as we already heard the Sewells talk about, uh, biblically a tithe is 10%. Here's a a takeaway for today as well. 90% with God's blessing will go further than 100% without. Okay? God still, isn't this awesome? God is allowing you in his understanding of life to have have stewardship over 90% of your income. That's generous. Some gods could have said, you're going to live on 10. I'm taking 90. No. But your 90% will go further with God's blessing than 100% without. Because that 100% without is where the moth eats, the rust destroys, the thieves break in and steal. So what you keep is all you have. That's it. What you keep is all you have. But what you invest, God multiplies. What you keep, that's it. It's gone. But what you invest, God multiplies. Let me give you a verse, Luke 6, and we're going to come to a close. Give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount that you give Will, be the, will determine the amount that you get back. Now, this isn't going to necessarily be dollar for dollar, as we heard in the story with the Sewells. But there's a principle here, and we close with this. We are called to be people who don't store. We're not storing up. The Lord calls us not to store up, but to what? To pour out. To pour out. So we, I have a container here. It's not a spittoon. Don't worry. I'm not chewing tobacco. Um, I'm just going to pour out what is in this. 
just like so. Now, a lot of us, if we think about pouring out, we're going, but Kelly, that, that's like it. Now what? Well, as people who pour out, recognizing God's faithfulness and God's generosity, and it might seem like you came to an end, something I've discovered is that isn't the case. That God has a way, kind of like that story in the Old Testament about the widow that Elijah came to, or actually it was Elisha, came to, said, why don't you make a little cake for me and for your son? For me, before you eat. But God will provide everything you need from that point on. You're faithful to give to me first. That sounded selfish coming from the prophet. But she did that. And every time she went to her oil jar, there was always oil there. Every time she went to her flower jar, flour was there. God is a God who wants us to continue to pour out, not to store up. Because what we understand is that he has blessed us to be stewards and to be a blessing. If we begin to store up and just hang on to it, truth is you'll never have enough. You won't. But as we become people who pour out, then we begin to see that in our lives, there is an overflow that we experience. It may not be financial. It might just be your refrigerator happens to last longer than you thought it would. The car tires clocked a few more miles away than you thought they would. The moths aren't eating and the rust isn't destroying like you thought it would. Now, I know I'm talking to a varied audience here. Some of you are faithful givers and you tithe regularly and you are are focused in on honoring the Lord. And and I understand that and I hope this just affirms that what you're doing is, is great because you're in that place of God's call for your life. But there are others in the room where you recognize you're tipping God. And then you wonder why certain things are happening and why stuff gets messed up all the time and why you fret and why you worry about money. Scarcity mindset is why. Tithing breaks that and creates an abundance mindset. And maybe you can't give 10% because your budget doesn't let you right now. Well, let me just tell you, it will. But like the Sewell said, let's determine what we're going to give and let God bring the increase. And when the more comes, don't go, oh, look, we have more. Let's, 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 let's add this new phone onto our plan. No. We're saying, God, you wanted us to move from 6 to 7, from 7 to 8, from 8 to 9. We're going to do that. So wherever you're at today, I'm just challenging you. This is God's word. This isn't Kelly. This isn't some psychobabble from neighborhood church. This is the word of God which we can't dispute. Malachi, I'm not going to go to the whole entire passage, but the Lord speaks about the importance of tithing. And actually he says that Israel had been robbing God. And they said, how? He said, by withholding your tithe. It's the one area, friends, finances are the one area God says, you go ahead and test me in this. We're not supposed to test God in most everything else. But when it came to our money, God said, you know what, test me in this. And see if I will not pour open. I love the word he uses because it's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pour out, not store up. See if I won't pour open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing into your lap that you cannot contain. Friends, take the Lord on this challenge. Trust him with it. 
I'm invested. The Lord calls us not to store up, but to pour out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And sometimes your word, it speaks directly to our heart and to the selfishness that we all tend to experience in life. And the one area that just seems so guarded is money. And part of that is our own consumeristic mindset as Americans, that we earned this, therefore we deserve it, therefore it's ours. But how selfish that is of us. Because the truth is, you provide. And so because you do, we want to honor you first. We want to pour out, not store up. We want to be faithful. So for those that want to take that challenge today to be, to be faithful and giving, whatever they can, God, I pray you would help them to see what that is and step into it with obedience, knowing that you will pour out over their life in ways that maybe they can't even calculate. But if they could, they would see that you have fully returned the blessing in their life. So thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, and thank you that we can be invested. Your kingdom mission is worth it. People knowing Christ as Savior is worth it. The declaration of God's word in our community is worth it. And so we give. And in giving, we're just like you the generous God who gives us so generously. So help us, Lord, to follow your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.